How's everybody? Everybody doing all right? Let's stand up. We'll pray. Open our hearts. Everybody feeling good, I hope? All right. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for this ecclesia, this gathering together of saints and your people. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, for you to anoint me this morning and visit our lives, our hearts, our minds, our bodies, and meet every need that's here in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look in uh, Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 21. So it says, Now when Jesus crossed over again by the boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. He begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years, and had suffered many things from many physicians, And she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I only touch his clothes, I shall be made whole. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. And while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, Your daughter is dead. Why? Excuse me, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, but then he had put them all outside. He took the father and the mother and the child of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was laying. And then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, little daughter, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, and she was 12 years of age, and they were all overcome with amazement. <clears throat> so I want to focus less on the ruler of the synagogue and his daughter and more on the woman here with the issue of blood. But I want to talk just I want to talk about something practical, kind of leave heavy theological stuff alone today and just talk about I want to talk about healing and how it works uh, from a practical standpoint. So for many, many years, any of you that had been around for any length of time, we put a lot of emphasis, especially early on, in the area of healing and healing the whole person, not just healing the body, but healing spiritually, emotionally. Physically, financially, relationally, in every way that we could think, right? And we went through a season where we had a lot of healings and miracles, had the opportunity to travel to a number of different churches and hold miracle services. It was fun. We would go into places where they'd never seen miracles, (laughs) and we'd do a miracle service, and invariably we would have miracles, verifiable, dynamic miracles. Uh, And then we would teach all day on Saturday, a group of people that wanted to learn about how to minister healing and ministering the gifts of the Spirit. And then Sunday, usually I'd preach, and then they would have another healing time where the people that we trained would be released to uh, do healing. And it was it was a lot of fun, and it was a very fruitful time in our lives. There was a time when every time we got together, there was some kind of healing or miracle that took place. Uh, and again, I'm talking about verifiable things. I'm talking about blind people seeing and deaf ears opening and people with broken bones being instantly mended. Um, I remember even instances where things would happen in the service and kids in the children's church would get impacted or touched. I remember having a word of knowledge about someone being healed in the service, but nobody responded. 
Uh, so you always kind of put yourself out on a limb there, you know. Uh, and I don't remember what the specific condition was, but I remember it was someone in, uh, we were in the other building, and it was some uh, child in the basement who had that condition and was healed at that moment in uh, the children's church class uh, and just called it out there. So I'm just saying, uh, and we went through years of that kind of demonstrations of the Holy Spirit and power and healing and that kind of stuff. And in fact, two of the gifts of the Spirit that are mentioned in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, is the gifts, plural, of healing, or healings, the gifts of healings, and the working of miracles. Now, the translation there for the working of miracles is a little bit deceptive because it focuses on the outcome. We think if... If someone is blind and then they see, or if they have cancer and then they're healed, that that is the miracle. But in the original language, it's actually not miracle, it's power. It's the same word that's used when it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then the word for working there has to do with energizing or energy. So it's literally working with energy or working with power. So it's not so much focused on the outcome, like we think of when we say miracle. It'd be much better translated energy work, probably. That there are some people that have that that gift and that ability. So what we ended up uh, what ended up happening in a lot of those instances was that those of us that were that were flowing in that and operating in that, because it wasn't just me; it was lots of you. Uh, going out and ministering to people at work or ministering to people in the services, that kind of thing. What, what was happening is we were being servants of the energy, uh, of God. Right? And then <clears throat> I went through a shift. It was re- really a, a strange time for me where, uh, the Lord had drawn me apart to Himself. I had separated myself. And my own personal spiritual experiences went to another level. So things like trances and visions and out-of-body experiences and things like that, that I don't talk about much. Um, because I don't want you to elevate me, because those things can be so like fantastical, and I don't want you to elevate me, and then somehow, because of that, get a spiritual inferiority complex or something. Because um, I, I, I think, honestly... Truthfully, I think because of the nature of my calling and the things that God was leading me into and the fact that I was pretty thick-headed, um, I had to have some of those more dynamic experiences for the Lord to get my attention. Right? If a whisper works, why shout? <laughs> so maybe some of you don't have those experiences because you're actually more sensitive and where you need to be, whereas I needed to be redirected in some respects. But the most interesting thing about that time period in my life was that the gifts of the Spirit in the way that I had known them in terms of ministering to the people seemed to dry up. And I was seeking the Lord about that, and there's a passage in Ezekiel, I want to say about chapter 43, where he talks about two levels of priesthood. He talks about the Levitical priesthood, which is in the inner court, because remember the temple's divided into three areas. Holy of Holies, where the presence of God is, the inner court where the lampstand and the table of showbread is, and then the outer court where they do all the sacrifices. And so the Levitical priesthood was given to serve the people. But he said there would be another priesthood that was a Zadok, that was from the line of Zadok, the Zadok priesthood, that would not minister to the people, they would go in and stand before the Lord and minister to the Lord. And so I went through this transition where there wasn't as much ministry to the people, but my relationship with God went to a whole different level. So it was really a weird time for me. Because <laughs> there were times when maybe I felt out of sorts with God and my relationship with God, but I could still move in power. And then there were times that I felt like God was as close as my next breath. And like I could see God and touch God and hear God and feel God but seemingly no power in terms of praying for people. So it's really kind of a strange transition. The other part of the, the Zadok priesthood was not only would they stand before the Lord and minister to the Lord, but then they would come out of that place and they would begin to teach. And so I began to transition more into a teaching type of 
ministry away from sort of those dyna- more dynamic demonstrations. It'd be nice to have both, but it just hasn't quite come together for me yet like that, right? <clears throat> so I did more teaching. And, <clears throat> and then I went through another time period, an extended time period. <clears throat> and Jesus says something very interesting when he preaches in Nazareth. He, he preaches this message about how he's anointed to do all this stuff. And then the people there don't receive his ministry. And he says, surely you will say to me this proverb, physician, heal thyself. Physician, heal thyself. And for months, that phrase was just churning around inside of me and going over and over inside of me. And, and, and during that season then, God began to expose more of my shadow self to me. I had to deal with all the junk that was still there that I was like, I can't believe we're going around this mountain again. <laughs> I'm sure none of you know what I'm talking about because I'm sure for everybody else, I don't know about any, you know, but I'm convinced for everybody else it must be one and done. For me it's like a winding staircase that just keeps descending. Um, anyway. So, so, so that began to come out. That's sort of that physician heal thyself. And so I began to, I began to look at some of the models of what we would do. Um, you know, we could go into a place, we could do a healing crusade, and people would get all kinds of healing. You could train the healing teams and then leave and then nothing happens. And I know I have friends that they would do that uh, cyclically. Like every year they go to a certain place, they have healing crusades, they train, the people go out, nothing happens. So what happens? Everybody's waiting for the next year for the man of God, in this case, could be woman of God, whatever the case may be, but for the man of God to show up to do the stuff. So then what happens is, is that person becomes the source. And that's dangerous. And it also lends itself to codependency and immaturity (laughs) and ego problems for the person who is the source. Uh, I mean, the whole thing becomes messy. And so I began to look at that and think, how can we help people connect with the resources and the stuff that's already inside of them for the purpose of manifesting their own healing or physician heal thyself? And then there was a few people, as I was getting feedback, not from just one or two, there was a number of people who gave me feedback that said, okay, we're confused about healing, we're, we're not sure, do, do we go to other people to get prayed for <laughs> and, and have that happen that way, or do we just, you know, do our own meditation and, and faith and do we get it this way, and, and a lot of, you know, just sort of, what do we do now, kind of thing, right? So I, I want to clear some of that up. I want to I say, first of all, that we get ourselves stuck in life, not just in this, but in life in general, we get ourselves stuck when we do an either-or frame. When it can be and both. Right? So in some states or voting precincts, if you want to vote in a primary, you have to declare either-or. <laughs> so you're either a donkey or an elephant. You're either a <laughs> Republican or a Democrat, Right? And so whatever you're registered as, you can only vote for those candidates. But there's been legislation or bills or petitions or whatever that have said, no, we don't want to do it that way. We want a person to be able to vote in both. So this is a classic case. Do I go to someone to receive healing or do I get it for myself? This is a classic case of creating a false either or frame inside your own thinking rather than having an abundance mentality that says I can have and both. And I'm just going to be honest with you. If I'm diagnosed with something serious, you know, I'm going to throw everything I possibly can. Or if my kids get diagnosed, God forbid, with something, I'm going to throw everything I can in the kitchen sink at it. I'm not going to do this. Oh, geez. How do, you, you, you see what I'm saying? Now, here's another interesting concept. When you begin to understand that we are all one, that we are all divine, that we are all one, um, even if your understanding is the body of Christ, we are all one in Christ. There is neither male nor female. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free, Paul says in Galatians chapter 3. But we are all, what? One in Christ, right? So the reality is, if someone else is manifesting the power of Christ and I'm receiving it, I'm still receiving from myself. 
It's just another aspect of myself that is showing up in someone else. So that's another way to look at it. So am I getting it for myself? Yes. I mean, if, if you read the story, the woman, the woman could have, this is where the story of the woman with the issue of blood comes in, because she could have just gone around saying, if I keep saying I'm healed, I'll be healed. Or if I may but touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. She could have just kept with that. And could have gone and touched the hem of his garment and no power been released. And then the question becomes, would she still have been healed? Be careful before you answer. Don't, don't be so certain. Would she still, would she have been healed, right? So here's the interesting thing. She doesn't get healed in the story. She does not get healed until power flows out from Jesus. But nowhere in the story does Jesus say, daughter, my power has made you whole. He doesn't disconnect her from the resource. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. And I'm going to tell you right now, in all the circles I traveled in that were into demonstration and kingdom and power and Holy Spirit, nobody was ever willing to give someone else the credit for the healing. In fact, we were taught it will dry up, the fountain will dry up if you don't constantly give the Lord credit for the healing. If you take any glory for yourself, you have to give all the glory to the Lord. But Jesus did not operate that way. (laughs) Jesus did not turn around and say, yes, all glory be to me. Or he didn't say, all glory be to the Father. Like, I'm afraid because God's going to get jealous, and if I take some of the credit, he's going to take away his gifts. What kind of God is that? I mean, when you really get down, when you peel off the veneer, and you pull back the, 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 the curtain, and you really get down to the nature of what the God that we say that we believe in, and how we represent him, he is petty, and jealous, and egotistical, and narcissistic. I mean, why else does he need you praising him 24-7? Oh, he's only going to do something good for you if you praise him. I mean, that might make us feel better and make us feel like we're doing something. But the truth is, if you think about what that God's like, give me a break. I don't want to serve that God. So Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus does not disconnect the woman from the resources. He says, your faith has made you well. Because, see, you can end up feeling just as powerless by receiving a healing through someone else unless you're able to somehow connect the fact that you also participated in the working of your own miracle. Does that make sense? So let's just look at how this works. Now I'm going to shift gears a little bit, and I'm going to get a little bit um, metaphysical on you, okay? So... Depending on who you listen to, there's there's a guy out there, uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton, who's a uh, cellular biologist and taught medical school for 20 years. And he has written a book called The Biology of Belief. And he's basically debunking modern medical and scientific theories about cells and genes and how the body works. And it's really fascinating stuff. But one of the things he talks about with cells is that your cell has both a positive and negative charge. And information is exchanged through cells and the ions in the cells through a very, you know, minute electrical, obviously minute because you got something like 37 trillion cells in your body, depending, I guess, how big you are. <laughs> I suppose, I don't know. <laughs> Some of us get so big, we might be able to see those cells if they're all the same number. But <clears throat> but there's an electrical charge that allows for the exchange of information to take place between cells. So that literally you're, you're not a single intellectual entity, if you will. <laughs> but you are an energy that's using this body. You are an energy that's using this body. And then Dr. Lipton goes on and he talks about how at a quantum level we don't look at things as particles, we look at things as waves. And so everything exists at a level of waves. Now, 
Think about animal consciousness for a minute, because animals have consciousness, right? Um, and they, they communicate, they don't communicate with language, they don't communicate with words, they communicate at a level of vibration. There's an information exchange, but it's based on a vibe. So in other words, if you go to Africa, uh, and you watch, I mean, you can see it anywhere, but like when we were in Africa, you would see the gazelles, or the antelope, or the wildebeests, or whatever, and then you'd have the predators, like, so let's say the lions. There's a unspoken communication that lets the gazelle know, I don't hang out with the lion. How does the gazelle know not to hang out with the lion? Because of the vibration, because of the feeling. Now, we are taught not to listen to that or to tune into that energy in any way, shape, or form. Now, if you're in the east, if you're in the eastern hemisphere, it's totally different. Totally different. You're taught to honor that energy and even taught as part of your spiritual practice how to harness and direct that energy. But the bottom line is, when your body dies, that energy goes. So you have to think about yourself not as just physical form, but as energy. There's different theories about the brain. There are some neuroscientists who will tell you that all consciousness is the result of the the brain secreting various different neurotransmitters, like the liver secretes bile. Got it? Am I boring you yet? And they'll say that's all consciousness is. There are others, and I prefer this theory because it makes sense spiritually and so it fits, that the brain is not the origin of consciousness, that consciousness actually exists outside of the body and is processed through the brain into physical reality, which allows then for... (laughs) This is going to trigger somebody. But it allows then for your higher self to use your physical body as an avatar for experience physical, for experiencing physical reality. But what I'm trying to get you to see is that you are primarily energy and vibration. And with those vibration, there is also, with that vibration, there is also information and what we might call consciousness and all faith is all that faith is is a state of consciousness it is an altered state if you will of consciousness make sense so In Western medicine, so again, to compare Eastern with Western, in Western medicine, we treat the machine at the physical level. Surgeries, medicine, things like that. The degree to which the mind and emotions comes into play usually involves some kind of support, some kind of support system. So you get a cancer diagnosis, you may be connected to a social worker, clinical social worker, or counselor, maybe, who's there to give you emotional support while you get sick and die. And there's very little concept of energy or spirituality, no concept of spirituality unless it's bring the chaplain in to, or the priest to do your last rites before you die. In the East, the whole system of medicine in the East is based on the meridian points and the energy system throughout the body. Or it's based on the energy centers, which are called the chakras, through the body. And the person is usually treated more holistically. You may not know this, but there is actually in existence a medicineless hospital in China, 
where people can go, and it's fascinating. I've seen the videos. It's fascinating to watch the videos where a group of trained practitioners get around a person, and they're showing you the tumor that the person has in the ultrasound or MRI or whatever, whatever radiological instrument they're using to show it, and while they're chanting and concentrating and meditating and laying hands on the person, these are not Christians, per se. They're not believers in Jesus. But while they're doing this, you can watch on the imagery the cancer shrink and disappear. And so they can actually go to a medicineless hospital for treatment. And what do they say they're doing? They're accessing their chi. Everybody heard, ever heard of chi? What is chi? Chi is simply that electrical energy that is in your body that they learn to access and harness and direct. Are you breathing? (laughs) So how does all this apply to us? So let's break it down. Here's my presuppositions. You are a holistic unit. You are a mind-body system. And your body can affect your mind, and your mind can affect your body. Your emotions can affect your body, and your body can affect your emotions. There's interplay between the two of them. And then you put spirit into that as well, and there's also a spiritual dynamic that comes into play. Sometimes the ego is really good. The ego is the the feedback loop that goes through our brain based upon our mental and emotionally mental and emotional programming that we received throughout our life and most people think that's who they are i'm aaron my personality type is you know my uh i don't know myers brig is infp and i'm an enneagram 9 or 2 or i'm a right and these are my likes, and these are my dislikes, and this is what I come from, and this is what I do, and this is my name, and this is my family that I'm from, and these are my traumas, and these are this is what I like to do, and this is what I do for fun. And that's me. That's not you. All that is is the byproduct of what's happened to you as a result of coming into this world. Right? Why did I get off on that? I don't even know. <laughs> oh. So the ego is very good at tricking you when it comes to God into believing that you don't have any gaps spiritually. In other words, you can say, I know God loves me. I know God's good to me. I know I'm blessed. We do this in church all the time. How are you doing, sister? Oh, I'm blessed. How are you? Oh, I'm blessed. Praise the Lord. Um, God is good. Yes, God is good all the time. Um, <laughs> and we do that stuff, right? And we think it. We believe it. And, that, and, that's us. and then all of a sudden we get sick and we feel like, where's God? God, God abandoned me. You know, like a serious diagnosis. And all of a sudden, what happens? That rift that's been hidden between you and God, that rift in consciousness, that little fold of darkness, if you will, all of a sudden gets exposed. Right? So part of the healing process then for you, if, if you get a horrible diagnosis, you say, I believe in healing. I know what I'll do if I get a diagnosis. I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to get my healing until you get your diagnosis and then you're scared to death. <laughs> then you're calling every prayer team on the planet. You're, right? So what, so if your immediate response is fear and panic, no, you didn't believe God like you thought you did. And so all the sickness is doing is revealing truth to you. It's not changing your situation. It's revealing something inside your own consciousness that you had been hiding from yourself. And we all do it. And you can't not do it. So that, so part of the healing then is the spiritual healing that happens to heal that rift. You cannot get that necessarily, not necessarily, if somebody's just ministering gifts of the Spirit to you. So sometimes a person has a mountain in their life that they're supposed to move. (laughs) Sometimes a person has a situation that they're supposed to overcome. Sometimes it's in the person's highest good for it to be their faith that makes them well. See, here's the contrast. In one instance, you have Jesus who is going with a man to his house in order to heal his daughter. Right? 
He's relatively disconnected. He's the, the guy himself is basically along for the ride. They try to get him off the bus. Say, hey, she's dead. Don't trouble the master anymore. And what does Jesus say? Don't be afraid, only believe. What's he trying to do? Let's see this thing through. Stay on the bus. Got it? But Jesus is more or less the vehicle. Little girl, I say to you, arise. On the other hand, you have a woman who wants to get healed, and Jesus has no choice in the matter. Read the story. It says the multitude is thronging him. What does that mean? That means they're mauling him. They're touching him. They're grasping him. So it wasn't like somebody just brushed up against him and they're like, oh, what was, what was that that I felt? No. Everybody's thronging him. I mean, it's really brought out in the story. But only one person touched him in such a way that power went out from him. So he didn't, he didn't serve it to her. He didn't say, here you go. Oh yeah, I decided I wanted you to have this. No. She went up and took it from him. <laughs> She grabbed it away from him. Right? Now here's the thing. According to the scriptures, this woman could not be in a crowd. Because if, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, this is just the way it was. I remember my mom used to have this like series of books or whatever. (laughs) And the title of the book was The Red Tent. Anybody seen that book or, or, or read it? It was called The Red Tent, and, and it was about this community of women that when they would go on their monthly cycle would have to go to the red tent because they couldn't be around the men or part of the community. And you especially couldn't go to the temple, and you especially couldn't be around holy people because you were considered to be, in that culture, during that time, a woman who was unclean. And if you touched something clean, you defiled it. And there was a law in the scriptures that said you have to stay away. Which is why when Jesus said, who touched me, she it says in there, she told him the whole truth. Because she was violating her cultural norms, her cultural morals, and even the word of God. She was in direct disobedience to the scriptures. That's how far out of the box she had to get. Put it in your modern thinking. So she goes through this process. She hears about Jesus. She gets an idea in her head that she doesn't have to stay stuck in her situation, in her cycle, replicating the same pattern of disease and sickness over and over and over again. So apparently... Her ideas and her thinking was able to alter her reality, even independently of it being the will of God. So she gets this idea. Now, here's the thing. We make God in, in our own image. <laughs> Some, I don't know who said it, but it, it's so true. God made man in his image and, and man returned the favor. Like, we really think God's sitting up there individually saying, oh, I'm going to heal her, and I'm going to heal him, and I'm not going to heal that situation. I'm moving this situation. I'm not going to move over here. And so every transaction in the spiritual world is based on some kind of an agreement that we make with God. (laughs) Right? That's what we think. I think God's a little bit bigger than that. It's a little harder to grasp, but... If you think about it, the idea that you could be well had to originate in God. Otherwise, there is some other creator. If God created and sustains everything that exists, then there can be nothing that exists apart from God. So if it's not God's idea for you to be well... You couldn't have the idea to be well. Otherwise, there would have to be a creator or a source or a substance outside of God to generate the idea. Does that make sense? But then the idea that you get sick and die also originates with God. Or you couldn't have that idea. (laughs) Are you breathing? (laughs) I'm supposed to be talking about how does this work. And I don't have all the answers. I know there are situations where this, you know, doesn't seem to work or doesn't work or whatever the case may be. 
but I'm just not willing to give up the ship. Not willing to just roll over and lay down and... Right? So she gets this idea. If I may but touch the hem of his garment, I may be well. And then she develops that into a mindset because our Bible says, for she said, if I may but touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. But actually, what it says in the original language, for she said and she kept on saying, if I may but touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. So she kept rehearsing that idea. So she's incubating the idea inside herself. She's seeing herself do it. She's imagining it. She's saying it to herself. Her self-talk is saying it over and over. So she's becoming consumed with this idea. She's holding the image of this idea. So what's happening? The patterning of the energy that runs throughout her body. So one of the major, uh, I think, uh, how do I say this? Uh, advantages that the Eastern model of some of this has for us versus our Western model is they have, you've heard of chakras, right? Now, I hate, and you have seven of them that run along the spine, from the root to the crown of your head, right? Now, I hate to disappoint you, if they open you up, they're not going to find chakras. <laughs> they can x-ray you, they're not going to find chakras. So it's not a literal thing, it is a way of representing, it is a way of mapping out and understanding the connection between energy and consciousness. And each chakra, the word chakra just means wheel, each chakra corresponds to a particular aspect of your consciousness and your well-being. But here's the advantage to it. It's fully embodied. If you think about it, four of your five senses come through the head. So it's very easy to get stuck in your head. But the truth is, I couldn't even do this if consciousness didn't go throughout my whole body. So whatever ideas I'm having up here, whatever images I'm having up here, I'm sending through my entire body. And whether you want to know, whether you want to admit or not, your body is responding. You ever get mad at somebody? And maybe you're one of those people that like me. Well, okay, I wasn't too much like this. Okay, not like me. <laughs> maybe you're one of those people that you, you eat your feelings all the time. You just stuff your feelings because you're afraid of confrontation or you're afraid of conflict or whatever. So you just stuff, 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 stuff. Right? And you have an opportunity for confrontation and you don't take it. And you walk away from that opportunity... And what do you start doing in your imagination? What movie do you start playing through your head? Most of us. How I would have handled it, what I should have said, what I'll say the next time I see him. And how many of you ever get so worked up in that imagination that if you pay very close attention, you can feel the adrenaline rushing through your body? Anybody ever experienced that? So guess what? Your body is chemically responding to the image that you're sending throughout your system. You're sending, that, that thing has no physical existence. None. They can't cut you open and see the movie. Oh, let's pull out the movie. Let's see what Mike tells, you know. <laughs> let's see what Alicia tells Mike, you know. I mean, <laughs> You get it? You can't pull that out. It has no physical existence whatsoever. It has no matter whatsoever. It's not scientifically observable in any way, shape, or form. But you're observing it. And it is impacting your system. <laughs> right? So, faith then is a state of consciousness or it is a patterning after something that you do not yet have. Because in Romans chapter 4, verse 17, it says, it says that, um, that Abraham believed in God who gives life to the dead and calls those things that be not as though they were. So faith then is able to look at something that is not and create it in the mental realm. Create it in the realm of the imagination. 
Create it in the realm of ideas and pattern it. And then Paul says this, we walk by faith and not by sight. We behold those things that are not seen (laughs) over and against those things that are seen. So I have two sets of information going on at the same time. I have the set of information that my physical body is telling me that I'm sick. I have the symptomology that's going on. I have the doctor's report, maybe the doctor's voice. I've got the treatments, whatever that I'm going through. I have this evidence out here. I have to create the evidence of what I want in my consciousness. I have to pattern it. I have to see it. I have to feel it. I have to hear it. I have to think it. But I'm creating that form, that schematic, completely in the mental realm. There's people that say, you know, we got so confused with faith when people would teach us faith. You know, we're not talking about mind over matter. Yeah, yeah, actually we are. This isn't mental power, brother. This is spiritual power. No, actually it's got a process through the mental realm where it doesn't get out. This isn't the power of positive thinking. This is something to know. Actually, it is. (laughs) Let's just call it what it is. Let's just make it simple for people. (laughs) You don't like what you have. Sit and think and meditate and dream about and run through the theater of your imagination. Play that movie over and over again. Just like you play that movie, those of you that stuff your stuff. If you're like me, you actually say those things and then you walk away later and think, oh my... God, I can't believe I said that. I feel so terrible. Oh, my God. So neither one's better than the other. And then I, oh, I'm sick to my stomach. Oh, I feel so guilty. Oh, I just don't want to see him again. Oh, how could I be so stupid? Why did I lose my temper again? I know there's probably nobody in here like that. You get it? But what are you doing? You're creating a reality... In the theater of your imagination, I should have said this, I could have said that, I should have done this, next time I'll do this. So you do the same thing. What do you want? You start creating it, you start building it, you start seeing it, you start hearing it, you have to, you, you create an alternate version of reality. That's what that woman's doing. If I may but touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. Right? So think about that as a frequency that she's carrying. And part of why Jesus came, Acts 10.38, the message that was sent, Peter's preaching, he says the message that was sent starting in Galilee and went throughout all the land of Israel, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So you got to understand that Jesus is carrying a frequency of healing. He didn't have to decide because it had already been decided. He was already carrying that frequency. And so what happened is, then she had to put action to it. She couldn't just sit there and think it, oh, if I could touch him, it's going to help, I could just touch him. Oh, but I can't be out in public, I forgot I'm supposed to be over in the red tent. Oh, it even it says right here, thou shalt stay in the red tent. Oh, if I go out, and he's a holy man, I can't touch a holy man, I'll make him unclean. And he's with the ruler of the synagogue, and he actually has the authority to enforce the rules, and if I get caught, maybe I'm going to die. I better just stay in the red tent. She had to take action. She had to move. She had to do something in her life that was taking action, that was moving away from the problem and towards the miracle. See, if you just create an alternate reality and inhabit it, that's just fantasy. That's just fantasy. If you cannot connect it to an action, it will never happen. It's just the truth. If you want to write a book, if you don't start writing, you'll never write a book. <laughs> if you want to make more money and you don't think of different ways to generate more income and take action on those ways, you're never going to make more money. If you want to build wealth, but you never actually invest, 
you're not going to build wealth. If you want to have different friendships, but you never actually do something to get outside the circle of your own friends, you're never going to build different friendships. Nothing changes until you take action. So that's the difference between pursuit of a genuine purpose and just living in fantasy land. And, and it can feel so real that it, you can think if you, if you've talked about it, you feel like you already did it. If you imagine it, it's already happened. And you're content with that feeling because you've created it so realistically in your mind, you're just content to inhabit there. Nothing's going, that's not faith. She had to get out, she had to do something. She had to act in accordance, not with, now watch this, it's so powerful. If she stays in the red tent, she's acting in accordance with this set of information over here that she has an issue of blood and she's tried everything and she's not gotten any better and she's just gotten worse. If she gets out of there and begins to press towards Jesus when he comes to her town, she's acting on this set of information that she created inside herself. If I may but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. She's got two witnesses. Two sets of information, two different schematics, two different possible futures. And the truth is, no matter how hard she believed it, no matter how hard she prayed for it, no matter how badly she wanted it, it was taking action that made the difference. If she had not taken action, she would have stayed sick. So she had to take action, <coughs> excuse me, that corresponded with the consciousness of faith that she had built up inside of her. Make sense? So then she gets to Jesus who's already carrying the frequency of healing and health. So that when she touches him, the frequency that she built in her consciousness and the frequency that he had in his consciousness met and power was released to change, watch this, the electrical patterning within her own cellular structure so that she might be healed. The working of miracles. So the truth is, and I can tell you this from experience and talking to people who've done crusades. I've talked to people who've done huge crusades. I've done small <laughs> healing meetings. I've, I mean, I've done it in larger meetings, venues as well. Anywhere from 12, 15 people to 10 or 12,000 people. I've talked to people who've held crusades, you know, sat down to dinner with them, 50, 60, 100,000. And here's what they all have in common. If you can generate a corporate faith in that gathering, you create an atmosphere, you create a frequency through which healings and miracles can get out of the realm of possibility and intellect and into the realm of reality. That's all that's going on. And so what, what do they do? They stand up and they talk about God wants to heal you. God wants to touch you. And then most of them, if they're good at it, they start telling testimonies. I pray, I knew this person had cancer was healed. I knew this person was blind and was healed. I knew this person that had uh, problems was healed. This person over here was healed. And then what they do, invariably, watch, I mean, I'm just telling you, this is how it works. It's, how, it's what we did when we were having miracles. Okay, who's feeling, I'm going to pray right now, and who's feeling the power of God going through them? Raise your hand. Okay, now I want you to come testify. What do they do? They come up with the testimony lines. And what happens is they're testifying. You're getting physical, tangible evidence of the reality of divine healing. And it's shifting something inside your consciousness. Until pretty soon, if they can get it, maybe I can get it. And then, once one or two or three people testify, then more stuff starts happening. I told you a story. How many of you know of T.L. Osborne? So T.L. had a son who was um, doing crusades in Africa. And I have a friend, I won't, I won't say who it is, but I have a friend who um, was wanting to do crusades himself and is doing them quite effectively in Africa now, especially. And he talked to T.L. Osborne's son and he got to watch him. This, this kid was mentored by Reinhard Bonnke. 
eventually. So he's watching how he's doing this. I've told you this story before. I get a little messed up because it's been about six or seven years since I heard the story. But the, the evangelist stands up and says, there's somebody here that's deaf. Now, why you would start with a deaf person is beyond me because they can't hear you. <laughs> but somebody here who's deaf and God is opening your ears, where's that person? In this big crusade. But here's how they advertise it. Let me back up. Here's how they advertise it. Come and see miracles. The blind will see, the lame will walk, the deaf will hear. God on TV and God on radio in Africa. Come and see miracles. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk. And my friend is like observing this and he's like, how can he say that? How can he make such bold declarations? Then he stood up and he gave like 15 minutes of testimony or word or something. They said, okay, there's a deaf person here and you're going to be healed. Where are you? And nobody's moving. And a minute goes by. Two minutes go by. Three minutes go by. My friend said he's starting to sweat like, oh man, this guy, here he is, this internationally well-known son of this famous, you know, world famous evangelist that maybe led more people to the Lord than, you know, they estimate that T.L. Osborne led more people to Jesus than Billy Graham. He just did it overseas, so you didn't know about him. And uh, he's like, you know, here he's doing this. How can he do this? I mean, he's falling flat on his face. And then pretty soon there's a man who jumps up and comes running to the front. And he's got crutches, and he throws his crutches down. He says, God's healed me. <laughs> and I remember my friend telling me the story. He said, I've watched the whole testimony line, not a single person the whole night. And then all of a sudden, all these miracles, blind eyes, cancers, tumors, whatever, shrinking, you know, People getting out of wheelchairs, all this stuff. He said, and then all the testimonies that were given that night, not one single deaf person said they were healed. (laughs) So then he followed the same pattern. He just got out there and did his crusade. And he'd never seen a miracle. Come, see blind eyes open. Come watch the the lame walk. Come watch the... I mean, he's got coconuts. (laughs) Sorry. I'm so sorry. I just slipped out. <laughs> Think about it. That's bold. Right? So he's, he's putting that out there. So he, he stands up and he says, If you're lame, you're going to walk. Actually, I think he followed the same pattern because the evangelist told him later he'd always start with the same miracle. He'd just start declaring it and speaking it. So let's say my friend got up there and said, Somebody here, lame, you're going to walk. Nothing's happening. There's somebody here, you're lame, you're, you're going to walk. Nothing's happening. Start getting nervous. Palms are sweating. Sweating. Don't ever, you know, the, the sure commercial or whatever, don't ever let them see you sweat, right? You know, just, right? Looking good on the outside, but whoo, this is not going good. Maybe I don't have the goods, right? And what happens? Lame, we're going to walk. What happens? Somebody comes running up, their deaf ears popped open. All kinds of testimonies that night. Not a single lame person walked. Right? You get it? But do you see what's happening? It's building the consciousness that is opening the gateway for possibilities that exist in the mind of God but had not been yet grasped by the mind of those in need. Right? So you got one person showing up who's carrying the frequency of I'm going to do the healing crusade. And you got somebody else showing up who's carrying the frequency of maybe I can be healed. And so here's the truth. Even people who come in and, and get healed and you, they think they have no faith, it's not true. It's not true. They had enough faith to come to the meeting. They had enough faith to come forward. <laughs> they had enough faith to receive prayer. Or maybe just somewhere inside of them they had faith, but consciously their ego had convinced them that they did not. But the point is, at some place... The two frequencies match. Now, here's the thing. You don't have to have a match with someone else in order to get your own healing. You can get it for yourself. You can. Now, if you can find environments and places and match those frequencies, then great. But if not, don't worry about it. You can get it on your own. Right? What you cannot do is do that work for someone else. You cannot, just because you want it, will it 
so badly onto someone else. But you can carry the frequency of I'm here to heal all who are ready to receive it. And you got to make sure that you don't turn good news into bad news. you you got to make sure it's like healing is available, healing is there. You can do something about your situation. You're not a victim of your, of your um, diagnosis. You're not a victim of the limitations of Western medicine or the limitations of your body. You can change your reality by changing your consciousness and anchoring it and keeping it and persevering with it and acting on it, right? But don't ever turn it into bad news. Well, I guess you just didn't quite do it right, and you just didn't get it all figured out, and if you'd have done this different, then maybe you'd have got it, or maybe you're not getting it because you don't have faith. Just don't do that. And then when it comes to being a servant who ministers healing, you make yourself available and receptive to the presence of, and the power of God. And then you can become a vehicle through whom the presence and the power of God flows in order to bring healing. When we would teach healing teams, we always said, don't focus on the healing. Don't focus on ministering the outcome or the healing. Focus on ministering the power, which is why it's so important to change that word in your mind from the working of miracles to the working with power. Because I can't guarantee you the outcome of the miracle, but I can guarantee you that I know how to surrender and let the power of God flow through me. And if the power of God flows through me, guess what? When the healer shows up, people get healed. Now, maybe it's not where you think they need it in that moment. I can't tell you the number of times that people have come forward over the years for physical healing and immediately an emotional need starts to be addressed. Because guess what? That emotional need could be could or could not be directly linked to that physical condition. And they could get the physical healing, but if they don't change their state of consciousness, it's very possible that that sickness or something else will come back. Because you didn't get to the root cause. But you can minister to the state of consciousness. Or that particular trauma or wound that's being healed by the power of God in that prayer line may have nothing to do with the physical reason that that person came up. I remember being in one place and said, if you're in pain, this is where I'll close. If you're in pain, <clears throat> stand up. And four or five, six people stood up. <clears throat> it wasn't too many. We just finished. I think we just came off a weekend of healing signs and wonders. It's a handful of people. And they came forward. <clears throat> and uh, I was praying for physical stuff, right? Lay hands on this one, lay hands on this one, lay hands. And I get to this other guy, and immediately his life just flashes before my eyes. Certain instances in his life, certain key moments in his life that caused him to doubt his own intellectual ability. Zach actually able to address a specific situation that happened to him in grade school with a specific teacher and the words that were actually said. Laid hands on him, I could see it instantly. When you were in fourth grade, this happened, and this teacher said this, and here's how it affected you, and here's how it continued to affect you throughout your life. And because it continued to affect you in this way, and when you were in the military, this happened, and, and when and this happened, and now you're here, and this thing is still impacting your life and preventing you from being able to reach your full potential. <laughs> Had nothing to do with healing. Nothing whatsoever. Had to do with his purpose and destiny. Now here's the backstory: The guy had no pain at all. None. He was sitting there and I said, if you're hurting, stand up. And he said he just felt a prompting from what he recognized as a spirit. But you might just recognize it as a hunch or an intuition. He said, you need to stand up. And he's sitting there arguing with the spirit. I don't have any pain. No, you need to stand up. But I feel fine. You need to stand up. Stood up. You need to go down there. But I don't have any pain. You need to go down there. He was in pain. He just didn't know it. Consciously. And it wasn't physical pain. It was emotional pain. But see, the frequency in his life and his consciousness was matching the frequency because it's the same frequency. Because if we're divine, if Christ is in all of us and all is Christ then all is one, then really 
You're an aspect of me and I'm an aspect of you. Which is why whatever I do to you, I do to myself. Which is why I should do unto others as I would have them do unto me. Like the law of karma, if I do it to you, it's going to come back to me. It's just an energetic wave, spiritual principle. Right? So lose that sense of division. Do I have somebody pray for me? Do I pray for myself? It just It's all God. <laughs> and you're God and God is you and Christ is you and you are Christ. And the only reason that sounds like heresy to you, if it does, is because you're so locked in the egoic consciousness of dualism and polarization and separation. Let's close our eyes. Holy Spirit, I I did my very best today to deliver what you put in my heart. I pray that it has power and impact beyond this time and space moment in the hearts and lives of these people and everyone who watches and everyone who listens. I pray that that Christ impulse inside of us will become stronger and more powerful and more dynamic in its working in all of our lives. You just, if you would, brothers and sisters, if you would just set your intention right now, just set an intention inside you to be open to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Be open to the energetic presence of God right now. Some of you in this room, some of you listening, some of you watching, you're called to be healers. You you carry that aspect of the divine Christ frequency, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that impulse, with that calling? You're going to stay frightened? Stay in your same old patterns? Or are you going to break out so that you can be a vessel of healing to the world around you so that you can become... See, Jesus became a healing presence. (laughs) If that calling's in your life, all you have to do is cultivate the idea, the belief, the imagination, and the outcome to become a healing presence. What are you going to do with that? (laughs) And then some of you are in a season where, like me, the Spirit is speaking to you, Physician, heal thyself. Some of you have, have wounds, issues, shadows, situations that have gone on too long that you've been refusing to address, that you've been refusing to look at, and just like that woman with the issue of blood, because the life of the soul is in the blood, you feel the life of your soul just draining out of you. And maybe you've tried stuff in the past. Maybe you've tried physicians and doctors and self-help programs and whatever, and you feel like nothing worked, but you're only worse. And God's touching your heart today and saying, Physician, heal thyself. He's looking at you like the man that laid by the pool of Bethesda. Are you willing to be made whole? Then take up your mat and walk. It's time to address it. It's time to do something, not think about it. It's time to take action and do something to actually address it and actually improve the quality of your life. Coming from a source of empowerment from within. Not waiting to be rescued. Not blaming someone else for your situation, but from the power you have inside of you, getting up and doing something about your situation to change it.
And we want to be here to support you. (laughs) And even if you don't have any physical support, even if you don't have a single natural person in your life that you feel like will support you in the change that you want to make, I'm going to tell you right now, just like I said last week, you came here with a spiritual team. (laughs) You came here with angels. You came here with support from your ancestors. You came here with support from all kinds of holy spiritual beings that operate at a higher vibrational frequency of unconditional love without judgment who want to support you in the path that you choose to take. So none of you are without support. Let's stand up. How's everybody feeling? Take a deep breath. Just take a really deep breath and then just exhale. Just do that three times. Another really deep breath. Just exhale. One more time. Let me say this this last thing, because I forgot to say it, and and I really felt impressed this morning that I needed to. I forgot to say this. You cannot force healing or anything miraculous to happen. You can only allow it to happen. When you're trying to force it to happen, when you're trying to make it happen, you're actually in resistance. And that's actually what's blocking. So there's this place of you're doing something, but you're doing it from a place of ease and grace and surrender and relaxation that allows something to manifest in your life. It does not make something manifest in your life. It's a very important key distinction. The energy of it's very different. When you're trying to force something and make something happen, it has a very different quality of energy and feeling than when you're just allowing something to happen and come into your life. And you've got to learn to know the difference. And you've got to stay on the side of allowing and stay out of the side of forcing. Got it? Lift your hands, if you would, with me for just a minute. Thank you, Lord. Bless your people. Let your healing graces and your healing gifts be stirred up and activated and flow through your community of people. Let it flow to your people. Let pain leave bodies right now, Lord. Let pain leave hearts and lives and relationships. Let the power of your unconditional love and the frequencies of your grace surround your people. Come upon them and overtake them. Work within them, without them, and around them in the blessed name of Jesus Christ, we ask. And if you can agree with that, saints, say with me, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.